0: I want to I get into God's word with you and, and talk about this idea of uh, not wasting our lives. Uh, for the last couple of weeks, we, we've kind of been uh, talking around this. We've been in Matthew chapter 25. And so if you want to open up your Bibles, turn on your Bibles this morning, we're going to be back in Matthew chapter 25. And the reason we're, we're talking about this is because the, I think the reality is, is when we get to this time of year, Uh, We kind of think about our lives. We we reflect on what happened last year and what do I want this year to look like? What's going to be the same and what's going to be different? And What kind of goals do I have and what areas in my life do I want different outcomes? And so we maybe set resolutions and buy gym memberships and we have goals for ourselves and that kind of stuff. And last week I posed a, a completely different question, one that I think is so simple but would be so profound for our lives. And I simply asked the question, When it comes to your relationship with Jesus, what is your next step? And we talked about that if you have air in your lungs, if your heart's still beating, that I think God has a plan for you, that I think he has a will for your life, and he desires you to to know him and to walk with him. And my guess would be is he has a step for you to take in your relationship with him. So the question is really, really simple. What's your next step? What would be kind of that next thing for for you to do? And the the reason that's so important is because we talked about in Matthew chapter 25 that there's three servants and two servants took their next step. And when they took their next step, uh, Jesus is telling this parable and he says that they took the next step and then they entered into their master's joy. And so Matthew chapter 25 is really about our relationship with God and joy. But then the third, the third servant did not take their next step. In fact, he procrastinated, he lived in fear, he put that thing off. And rather than stepping into his master's joy, he actually stepped into a world of regret. As we've been talking about, what does it look like to take our next step as we follow Jesus? And what I want to do today is talk about, uh, really just ask you five questions. Five questions to kind of help you think about your life, think about where you're at, the things that you're doing, maybe the the goals that you have. Because here's the thing, I don't think anybody intentionally wastes their life. Like my guess is there's not one single person on the planet that that sat down and said, okay, 2015, goals and resolutions, I completely want to miss it. Like at the end of my life, at the funeral, I want someone to stand up and go, he totally wasted his life, amen. That would be the goal. But I think what happens is is we just get distracted. And the reality is we can get distracted by things that are bad for us, things that that aren't God's will for our lives, things things that will actually hurt us and harm us. But we can get distracted doing good things. Uh, There's things that might be good, things that that would be acceptable, things that might even be good for us. But the reality is, is that ultimately they're not the ultimate thing. That it's not what God really desires for us. They're just kind of good things. And so I want to ask five questions this morning and talk about the idea that every single one of us has a next step to take, and that I believe this is true for you, I believe it's true for me, I believe it's true for all of us, is that every single one of us here was created by God on purpose for a purpose. Now, see, maybe, maybe you've gone through your life believing this lie that you were a mistake, or you just kind of happened, that there's really no purpose to you, but that's not true. But David tells us in Psalm 139 that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God is our creator, he is our designer, he put you together, he wired you, he designed you, that you were intentional, and that God created you with purpose, for a purpose. I think the thing that we would have to discover then is, what is that purpose? And maybe that purpose for you is a little bit different than, than it is for me, then maybe it is different for the person sitting next to you. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to ask you five questions this morning that I think will help discover I think it'll help you clarify. I think it'll maybe help you unearth maybe some of the things that God's calling you to in your life because when you live on purpose, I ultimately believe it'll be for your joy. So Matthew chapter 25, uh, starting in verse 14, uh, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's been asked some questions about the end times. He's been asked, uh, what, what will it be like when Everybody sees God for who he is. Biblically, kind of the language would be that when every single one of us stands before God, the Bible says every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Uh, for the believers, for Christians, uh, that'll be just a moment of worship. Well, we've been, Hey, we've been doing that for, for a long time now, Jesus. We love you. We surrender you. You are God. We surrender to you. For others, it'll be the first time they admit that. So Jesus is beginning to talk about this, and he's telling three stories, and we're kind of in the second of the three story. And so when Jesus says, for it will be like, that's what he's saying, the end times, this is what it'll kind of be like. He says, for it'll be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them, and he had five talents more. Goes on to say that the one that had two talents made two talents more, but he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now the first thing we see in this, listen, is that one of the things God does in your life and my life as believers is that God actually blesses us. That one of the the things that God does in the life of his people is he blesses them. That wherever God is, his blessing, his presence, his kingdom is there. And that Jesus is telling the story and he's saying, hey, I want you to think about this way. The master blessed his servants. He actually gave them an investment. And we last week kind of put this into our economy and said the five talents would be about $5 million. The two talents would be about $2 million. The one talent would be about $1 million. And and there's a little bit of tension here. I think we feel it in, in two areas the first place we feel it is we go, well, that's not fair. I mean, what do you mean God gave one guy five and one guy one? And, and, like, and the guy in the middle got two, and that's kind of cool. But listen, you, you can't give one guy five and guy one. Like, we don't even give first place at T-ball games anymore. Everybody goes home a winner. And there's this tension of, what is that? How? That's not fair. And what Jesus says is that each one was blessed. See, the problem is, is often we don't feel like we're blessed because we're too busy looking at other people's blessings. And we compare their blessing to our blessing and go, yeah, but I wish, and what about if I had, and could I get? And Jesus in this story makes it really, really clear that each guy was blessed according to his own ability, according to his master. But the reality is, is every single one of us is blessed, all of us. Listen, if you woke up this morning and you were warm, you were blessed. If you woke up this morning and you had the ability to get a cup of coffee or some clean water or put some food in your belly, you're blessed. If you were able to hop into a vehicle and drive here this morning and be a part of a, of a church service and be in a warm room with lights and sound and that, you're blessed. If you still have air in your lungs and if your heart's beating, you're blessed. Now, I think the second tension we feel with this is we begin to think, well, here. Seems like God just wants stuff from us. Like maybe, maybe you're you're kind of new to this Christianity thing. Maybe you're just investigating. Maybe you came kicking and screaming. Uh, maybe you've been investigating and wondering who Jesus is and what it means to follow Him. And maybe one of the hangups for you is He goes, "Listen, look, look, it's right there. God just wants stuff from me. Like He gave these guys some talents because He wanted them to do some stuff and." I just feel like God wants to take stuff from me. I just think God wants to use me. I think he just wants stuff from me. Two thoughts. The first thought would be is what do you have that God could not have already taken it from you if he wanted it, right? I mean, who's ever won the arm wrestling match with God? Second of all, that's not totally untrue. I think God does want to take some stuff from you. I think God wants to take your guilt. I think he wants to take your sin. I think he wants to take your shame. I think God wants to take your busting up, broken down, not going so well life. And he wants to save you. He wants to give you hope and peace and redemption and life everlasting. That God wants to take us where we are in our busted up, broken down lives and say, listen, it doesn't have to be that way. Let me take all of that and I want to take it only to exchange you for something better. That you could have joy and that you could have peace and that you could have life, that you could have a relationship with God, that you could trust in Him and love Him, and that every promise of the Bible would be yours to believe in and to live out. See, God does want stuff from us. He just wants to take the bad stuff and replace it with the stuff that gives us joy. You see, this morning, here's just what I want us to kind of investigate together. Is how do you begin to discover that? purpose if it's really true that the God has made an investment in you which according to the Bible that when you get saved by Jesus when you say hey God I believe in you I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart I surrender to you as Lord and Savior and I want to obey you that one of the things that happens is that God places an investment with you because he gives you his Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit does all kinds of things The Holy Spirit reveals truth to you. The Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to you. The Holy Spirit gives you a spiritual gift. And see that if everybody in the room who's saved, you have at least one spiritual gift, that God has placed a gift, an investment in you so that you could be about his kingdom. That you were actually created on purpose for a purpose. And what I believe is that when you discover that purpose, when you begin to live that out in your life, I believe, just like the servants in Matthew chapter 25, that you would experience joy. So the good news is, I'm just going to give you a bunch of questions this morning. We might even get out on time. It'll be awesome. Now, I can't guarantee that. Mike and Sue's friend got me a Vente Starbucks, and it's delicious. And so I'm a little inspired and caffeinated. Who knows what's going to happen? I got more energy than I did at last service. But here's five questions. Now, here's, here's kind of the hard part, is you're going to have to do some homework. You have to think about these things. I would suggest you take a piece of paper, maybe a napkin, maybe a journal, and think through these five questions for you because I think at what at stake is your joy. And for me, it's my joy. So first question is this. What do you enjoy? What do you enjoy? Now I gotta I gotta kind of tag something onto this. We gotta define this a little bit. What do you enjoy that brings God glory? Right? See, like, some of you heard, what do you enjoy? And you're like, sweetie, I can do that. See, he said, that's not what I said. (laughs) What do you enjoy? See, all you that laugh thought about it. (laughs) Sinners. Anyway, what do you enjoy? What do you enjoy that bring God glory? Now, I, I think this is really important, because here's the deal, here's the deal. A Christian is not simply someone who does not want to go to hell. That's not a Christian. That's just somebody that doesn't want to go to hell. A Christian is someone who believes in Jesus and has surrendered their life to him and follow him, taking step after step of obedience. That's what a Christian is. That a Christ follower is actually someone that says, I believe in you, Jesus, I've been saved by you, and I give my life to you. Now, here's one of the things that's really interesting about being a Christ follower. Is the Bible says that as Christians, our lives are supposed to be marked by joy. And I think part of the problem the world has with the church, I think part of the problem the world has with Christians is they go, where's the joy? In fact, if I can press down on this just a little bit, the reality is some of the meanest people in the planet are church people. I mean, not here at the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> other churches at other services. But the reality is that some of the meanest people on the planet are people who call themselves Christians. In fact, recently I had a conversation with a guy. And one of the things that's just true about my life is conversations always get interesting when I tell people I'm a pastor. Like you can kind of gauge the conversation on what happens after the word pastor comes out of my mouth. And so what I usually talk about with people is taking next steps. Hey, I just want to see people take the next step on their journey. And sometimes people can, can, can get into that conversation and so I was talking to a guy about the spiritual journey, and he was all about the spiritual journey, so we had a lot of stuff to talk about. And so I told him that I was a pastor, and the very next thing he told me was that part of his story was that when his family was going through stuff, when he was in about junior high, the church in his local community came to them and basically hurt them, was hard to them, in fact, accused his parents of satanic worship in their home. And I asked him, well, how did they get to that, bro? Like, are there like animal bones in your front yard? Like, well, I mean, h- how did they come to that? And he goes, I have no idea. He's like, but somebody from the church showed up at our home and told our parents because of the way we dress, because of the clothes we wear, because of the music we listen to, because our family go- is going through a hard time, we probably worship the devil. Now, if you're ever in a situation like this, the question you're thinking is, what do you say to that, right? So I leaned in and said, well, do you? To which he laughed, okay, he got, and he's like, no, he goes, listen, he goes, the, 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 these people were so hard on us and so hurtful to us, he goes, listen, I don't have any problems with Jesus, but I have a real hard time with Christians, and he began to tell me a story that after that happened to him and his family, he, he went on kind of this mission to out-love people, and so he told me stories about how he's given his car away, that he, there's been times in his life where he had a vehicle and he knew somebody that didn't, so he said, here, just take the keys, it's yours. That, that he would he, This is true about this guy. He would give you the clothes off his back. And he, he's kind of on a mission to be better than Christians, to love people more than Christians, love people, and to do more good than, than that. And I, I think that's great, he can do that. But ultimately, here's what I know about him. That piece of his heart that's empty, that piece of his heart that's never satisfied will never be satisfied until he meets Jesus. And one of the things that's hanging him up in his journey... He's had such a hard time with people who were supposed to be filled with joy, but instead they were incredibly mean and incredibly hurtful. It's kind of like the great philosopher Taylor Swift said. <laughs> Why you got to be so mean? And see, I think one of the best evidences that there is truly a God in heaven is that the people who claim to know him and love him would be filled with Joy. See, Jesus is not after our begrudging submission. He's after our joy. I would offer you that Matthew chapter 25, 14 to 20, is really about who we see God to be, our relationship with Him, and our joy. Because two of the three servants enter into the Master's joy, and one enters into a world of regret. And this is what I believe about you, and this is what I believe about me God created you on purpose for a purpose. And when you begin to discover that, when you begin to live on purpose, I actually believe it will be for your joy. So here's the question. Number one, what do you enjoy that brings God glory? Question number two, what do you do well? What do you do well? What are the things that you're just good at? Now here's the deal. In a room this size, this is what happened. I asked the question, what do you do well? And at least one person in the room went, nothing i don't do anything well not good at anything but the reality is is scripture says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made see if you respond to that question and say listen i don't do anything well," what you're really doing is mocking god saying listen you messed up bro but when you created me you crossed some wires you forgot some nuts and bolts like listen there was no assembly required but you missed some stuff and like, like i just i don't do anything well and that's not true God created you on purpose, with purpose. And there are things that you do well that other people do not. Listen, some of you, like some of you just love organization. Like just out of nowhere, it's like the wind kind of blows a certain way, and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to organize something. And it brings you joy. Like, like, you you walk into your home, and you're like, I can't find the salt and pepper, and your spouse is like, I organized them in alphabetical order in the spice store, so you need to be in the S and the P for salt and pepper, and you're like, I, I don't even know. I don't even know what happened here. Some of you have calendars that go out for the next 27 years. Like, you're like outdoing the Mayans with your calendar, right? You're like... <laughs> You're just like, and it's color-coded, and it's like everything in green is for him, and everything in red is for, for her, and the kids are this color, and like, and like the life is planned, and, that, and that's awesome. Some of you have files that are all nice and neat and color-coded, and like, I have trouble spelling the word organization. There's a Z in there somewhere, okay? Like, I know that. But some of you are organized. Listen, some of you have the gift of mercy, Like some of you can just get into a person's heart and situation and and speak truth to them and love them and and it's amazing, it's an incredible gift. You do that well. For some of you, you're creative. You can sit down with a paper and pen or in crayons and you can make things happen that other people can't. Some of you are able to write poetry and play music and write music that you can create websites and blogs and you can take nothing and create something. You can do that, and other people can't. Uh, some of you are incredible problem solvers. And it actually is really exciting to you. For, for some of you, you have the ability to work with your hands. You're like MacGyver. There's something broken and needs fixed, and you're like, I've got a paper clip and bubblegum. We can make it happen. Every single one of you in this room was created by God, on purpose, for a purpose. In fact, Scripture says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. That Every single one of you has been given a spiritual gift by Jesus for the purpose of serving others in the context of the local church. You see, it's not just about serving, and it's not just about using that gift, what's at stake is your joy. And what's stake is the joy of other people because what First Peter says is that you've received a gift and you're supposed to use it within the context of the local church to serve other people. Why? Because it's good stewardship. That God has given you an investment for you to use in the way he sees fit that would bring you joy and would give him glory. Now just two things to consider. One of the things that happens is it is possible for some people to enjoy doing things that they do not do well. Have you ever been to that church service? Where some, some churches have that thing called special music. And it's usually about offering time and someone shows up for special music who really, really loves singing, but they can't do it that well. And so they stand up with the microphone and they open their mouth and things come out. And usually it goes something like this, God told me to sing this song. And they start singing and you're like... You told them this? This is your idea? Because the reality is like if a cow got caught up in a windstorm and brushed away it would probably be prettier than what's happened on the stage. And I know that's offensive and somebody of think, "Well, they have a good heart." And I go, "I didn't hear their heart. I heard their voice, and it was bad." <laughs> it's bad. They enjoyed it, we did not. Like there's a whole show that has figured this out. It's called American Idol. I think it's on its 100th season. And they just base this whole show on, well, why are you here today? Because my mom and dad love me and say I can sing. And then they sing and these people go, no, you can't sing. And we laugh because we think it's kind of funny. Listen, some of you enjoy doing stuff that you don't do well. Some of you do stuff really, really well that you don't enjoy. And see, when you think about your purpose, here, here's what I would suggest to you. Find the sweet spot between these two questions. What do you do really, really well that you also Enjoy. Now listen, there's some area of our lives when, as believers that we're just called to do stuff, whether we like it or not. Like the Great Commission, Great Commandment, like you don't get to argue with God about that one. Like Timothy and Paul had this conversation where Timothy tells Paul, hey, I'm just not that good of an evangelist, so I don't think I'm going to do evangelism. And Paul goes, that's cute, do the work of an evangelist. But I'm not gifted. No, that, that's okay. Like as a believer, there's some things you're just supposed to do. But when it comes to this purpose thing, I, I want you to look for this sweet spot. What do you enjoy And what do you do well? And once you answer those two, answer this third one. What bothers me? What bothers me? Now when I ask the question, what bothers me, here's what I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about bad drivers, okay? Because bad drivers bother everybody. Like, I think when you get your driver's license, you should have to take an IQ test. And if, if you don't pass a certain, you know, like, you just don't, you just don't get the driver's license. Because listen, bad drivers bother me. They bring out an ugly side of me instantly that I didn't even know was there. I'm not talking about bad drivers. I'm not talking about men that wear capri pants. Okay? Because <laughs> that bothers me. <laughs> I actually find that offensive, quite honestly. And it bothers me in a way like the bad drivers. It just happens. Listen, I'm, I'm not even talking about things like fashion scarves in the summer. Like, I don't know why we turn on the air conditioning and then we put scarves around our are next to look cute. I just don't get it. Like, those bother me, but that's not what I'm talking about. And listen, I know for some of you, I, I'm, I'm new, and you're like, what is this guy doing? That's offensive. And it is offensive. I just don't fear men in capri pants. I fear men in Wranglers, okay? So, like, it, it, the guy in capri pants, I'm sorry, you can get back in your Prius, wear your capri pants, drive home, eat hummus, and pet your cat. I'm just there. <laughs> I'm just there, okay? But we're not talking about that stuff anyway. So you all off track. We're not talking about What I'm talking about when I say what bothers you is what breaks your heart. What breaks your heart? What is that thing when you think about your neighborhood, your schools, your county, your state, your nation, this world? What is that thing that you think, you know what, someone should do something about that. We can't leave that one for long. You know, it really seems like someone should step up. Because it really bothers me that that's going on. As a guy who's planting a church, I just feel uh, drawn to the book of Nehemiah over the last few months. And I love the book of Nehemiah because here's a guy that is doing what he thought God wanted him to do. He's, He's doing exactly what he thought God wanted him to do. He thinks he's right where he's supposed to be. He's the, the cupbearer to the king. And then he has a conversation with his brother and he has this question that he asks his brother like, hey, what's going on with Jerusalem? And the reality is, is Jerusalem has been in ruin for over 150 years. But the problem is is that in the Old Testament, God made a promise to his people that he would be the God of Jerusalem. And that people would actually look to Jerusalem and it would be living evidence that there is a God and that the Israelites are his people and that he is the God of that city. And and because of what had happened before, the city is now in ruin. And Nehemiah asks a report and his his brothers tell him, hey, it's, it's as bad as it was before, maybe even worse. And in Nehemiah chapter one, it says that Nehemiah, after hearing the report of Jerusalem, went into a room, closed the door, he wept, he fasted, And he prayed to the God of heaven. And I imagine that in that weeping and that fasting and that praying, Nehemiah had these moments of crying out saying, God, you need to do something about this. God, you need to do something about this. God, you need to send somebody. God, raise up a person to do this. God, I think it's me. Somebody ought to do something about this. Maybe it's And the rest of the book of Nehemiah is really Nehemiah's journal about his journey of going back to Jerusalem and rebuilding the walls that no one thought would ever be rebuilt. And raising up a group of people under the vision of redeeming and restoring a city and seeing God bless them and work through them in incredible ways. What bothers you? Now here's what I have to tell you about this question because it's a dangerous one. As you wrestle through this, what bothers me, here's the deal. Some of us, when we answer the question that we'll have this tendency to go, you know what bothers me? You know, there's this thing going on and we ought to do something about it, and our response is we'll call the church office first. We'll call the church office and go, you know what, this bothers me, and someone ought to start a ministry to solve it. Listen, when you discover what bothers you, it's a simultaneous call to get off the bench and get your hands dirty and do something about it. What bothers you? And maybe one of the most powerful prayers we can pray is God, break my heart for what breaks yours. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Hey, maybe the reason I love Nehemiah so much is because I I can relate to his story. That I was a guy that was doing exactly what I thought God wanted me to do, was right where I thought I belonged and didn't see any change on the horizon. And over a period of time, there was this thing that just kept bothering me. And no matter what I prayed, no matter what I did, no matter the people I I talked to, I I couldn't get away from it, but it started to bother me that there was this little county just west of here called Boone County. And listen, just just between you and me and everybody else listening online, it'll be our secret. Uh, Boone County is not large. Boone County is kind of this small agricultural community in Illinois that most people have no idea what it is, because it's like, you know, this big on the map. But in Boone County, let's just say there's 55,000 people in Boone County, so it's not large. But of the 55,000 people that live there, 34,000 do not know Jesus and have no relationship to a church. Now, here's the deal. That just started to bother me. And it kind of went from something like, hey, God, I, I think you need to do something about this. Hey, God, who could I pray for so they could go do something about this to... Me one time having a a light bulb moment and going, I think I'm supposed to do something about this. Now, now here's the deal, because I I just got to make it clear. When I think about the 55,000 people that live in Boone County that have no relationship to Jesus and have no relationship to a church, I think the answer is a new church. I think people need a place to come discover who Jesus is. And people need a place to ask questions and to grow spiritually. And here's the deal. The reason that I'm so passionate about the church is because I believe it's what God calls us to, to do as believers, is be the church. I love the church. I'm passionate about the church. I believe the church is Jesus' idea. that The gathering of believers globally is the only thing that Jesus ever uses the illustration for where he calls it his bride. That He loves her so much. And I think the church, although it's not the end-all, is also a place where there's all kinds of commandments in the New Testament that can't be fulfilled in any other place than the local church. I just think the local church is a really great place for people to get saved by Jesus and to grow spiritually and to serve one another. I just believe that. And we live in a time and a culture where there's all kinds of people who have different debates about church, what it is and what it isn't. Should you own a building? Should you not own a building? Should you meet in a home? Should you not meet a building? And like, it gets really aggressive. And this is what you should just know about me in case you're thinking about debating on this. I'll just punch you in the throat. Because that's just where I'm at right now. I love the church. I believe in the church. The church isn't perfect. It'll never be perfect. And the reason it'll never be perfect is because you're here and I'm here we got a bunch of hurting, broken, hypocrite people, all broken and in need of grace, so this will never be perfect. Sometimes we miss the point, sometimes we get it wrong, sometimes we totally mess up, but thank God that there's grace. And thank God that he created you and me with purpose and called together like a great big family to meet together, to worship him, and to grow and to encourage one another so that we can then scatter into the world and live on mission. In fact, this is how I would describe the local church. The local church is a community of regenerated believers who confess Jesus Christ as Lord. In obedience to Scripture, they organize under qualified leadership. They gather regularly for preaching and worship. They observe the biblical sacraments of baptism and communion. They are unified by the Spirit. They are disciplined for holiness and scatter to fulfill the great commandment and the great commission as missionaries to the world for God's glory and for their joy. And see, the thing is, is there's 34,000 people in my community that have no relationship with Jesus, and they have no relationship to a church. And it's not because they can't find a church to go to, because there's tons of them. See, as we began to pray about that, that began to bother me, and I thought, maybe it's because we need to start a new church that does things differently. And all of a sudden in my own life, there was this thing that bothered me. And all of a sudden it was going from, hey, somebody should do something about this. Maybe we should do something about this. What would it look like? And we kind of came up with these three core values that we think are are really, really biblical. We said, what if we planted a church that was just passionate about three things? What if we were passionate about, about people belonging? What if one of our core values was that this is a place that you could belong? This would be like cheers without the bar. Everybody would know your name. That you would come in and, and we could be a great big family. That you would have relationships. That you could be connected. That you could actually come into a place and share your burdens the things on your heart. You could share your failures. That your brothers and sisters in Christ could convict you and converge, uh, encourage you. That they could help you. And that you would just feel like every time we walked in the door, like this is a great big family gathering and I belong here. We're passionate about that. Many of you have experienced that because that's what this place is to you, isn't it? Belonging is important. And not that there's even strings attached. Like, we would say, hey, you don't even have to believe to belong. You can just come hang out and be part of the family. But our goal isn't for you just to belong. We're just not a club. We want you to believe in Jesus. And so we'd be motivated by belonging because we want to have the opportunity and the relationship to tell people about who Jesus is so they could open up their Bibles and get into the Word of God so it would be powerful for their lives, so they could discover the God of the Bible and by His grace surrender their lives to Him and be saved. But the goal is not just believing either. See, we want you to belong and we want you to believe so that you can become all that God wants you to be. So you could discover your identity in Christ so you could begin to understand the values and the truths of the Bible and apply them and live them out in your lives. So Redemption Church is a church where you can belong and believe and become. And see, the thought that drives us is we just want to change that number, 33,000. By God's grace, next year I just want that number to be lower because it bothers me. And it was in the process of that bothering me that I think God gave me a new purpose. Now I can do this because I have the microphone. Here's how you can be praying for us. Uh, many of you have, have been praying for us, and we, we need it. And we greatly appreciate it. Uh, some of you have been supporting us. Medellin as a church has been supporting us. and We're incredibly grateful, and we're incredibly blessed. The reality of planting a church is It's really, really exciting. It's really, really scary. There's lots and lots of faith, and there's lots and lots of terror. And that's just like Monday. I mean, that's just what tomorrow is going to be. And and so we need your prayers. We need your support. And so here's just a couple things that you can be praying for us. Next week, we actually have our first ever Sunday morning preview service. So we're inviting all kinds of people, and there's this thing about church, like when you meet in the evening where people are like, that's not really a church, but like you do the same thing on Sunday morning, and people are like, oh, that's a church. So we're going to meet on Sunday morning and have our first preview service that's open to the community. Uh, We're in the process of acquiring all kinds of equipment and stuff that we need to be a church and do ministry with excellence. And so uh, we're trying to do all that on a shoestring budget. Like, I just call people asking for deals. I send them pictures of my children, kind of like those advertisements on the TV. Just, you know, like, look at these children. Do you really want to charge me full price? Everybody's charged me full price, so I'm, I gotta change the strategy. So, um, it, so, we're trying to do that. Like, we just ordered like, the rest of a sound system, and I'm nervous because it's like getting delivered to my home. And so, like, I'm calling the distributor, like, well, do you know who's bringing it? And he's like, UPS. I'm like, do you know the guy's name? How many boxes has he dropped? Like, how long has he been with the company? Like, I can't afford to buy another one of these, so this has to come here safely. Do you sell insurance? Can I get an insurance package on this thing? So we're trying to do all this stuff, and and it's a huge step of faith for us. In fact, the reason we're doing all this stuff is because we've kind of nailed it down, and we are officially having our official grand opening as a church in nine weeks on March 15th. And so we're going to launch ahead of Easter so that we can be ready for Easter. So please be praying for us. We're forming teams. We're getting people to set up and serve. There's all kinds of work that needs to be done, but we're doing all this for one reason. For one reason. It's because we hope that God would use Redemption Church as a place to change lives by Jesus and to see disciples made. So please be praying for us. Because listen, I'm doing what I'm doing today because I paused long enough to ask the question, what bothers me? And it led to me a place I didn't think I was really going to go, and I'm doing something that I didn't think I was going to do. But the question for you is, what bothers you? So what do you enjoy? What do you do well? What bothers you? Question number four, what opportunities are in front of you right now? What opportunities are in front of you right now? One of the mistakes I think we make as Christians a lot of times is all too often we offer God our plans instead of offering God our hands. We tell God, hey, this is what I want to do. Hey, this is kind of the plan. Hey, I'm going to do that tomorrow. But the reality is is none of us really serves Jesus while planning for tomorrow. What opportunities are in front of you right now? What kind of relationships has God given you? What kind of opportunities has he placed in front of you? Maybe you need to take this step today so you can actually find your purpose tomorrow. What kind of opportunities are in front of you right now? Now, here's the beautiful part. If your answer to question number four is I'm not really sure, Steve and the elders would love to help you figure that one out because there's all kinds of opportunities. We can have you on a ministry team by next week, ready to go. So if you're serious about this one, there's all kinds of opportunities. There's all kinds of places. There's all kinds of things where you could take a next step and step up, and it would be for your joy, God's glory, and the benefit of other people. What opportunities are in front of you now? So leads me to question number five. Who? Who? Who are you going to live for? When it comes to your life, who are you going to live for? Because who we live for ultimately sets the direction and the joy of our lives. Matthew chapter 25, verse 19. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and he settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little, and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master." And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. One of the things that jumps out of me in the midst of Jesus' illustration is that two of the servants declared with their mouth, but then also demonstrated with their actions that they truly lived for the master. See, two guys called him master, But then did what he commanded of them. When he gave the command, they did it because of their relationship with him. Two of them declared with their mouth and demonstrated with their actions that they lived for the master. One servant declared with his mouth, but did not demonstrate with his actions that he lived for his master. Now, here's what's interesting the two that declared and demonstrated stepped into joy. The one that declared and that did not demonstrate entered into regret. And so my question for you is, who are you living for? Who are you living for? Now here's, here's the deal. Every single one of us messes up. M- maybe, maybe you're like me and, and you're not exactly who you want to be yet. Maybe, maybe you're, you're like me and you're not where you want to be yet in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're like me and you've got some stuff in your life that you're, you're working out. You've got some rough edges uh, in your life that you're trying to smooth out. There's some things that you're still bringing to the cross and, and, and want to grow and take that next step. Maybe you're there, and here's the deal. I think for all of us who are there, maybe, maybe there's some of us even here where you don't even know where you're at with Jesus yet. Maybe, maybe you're, you're still just trying to figure out who is that and what does that look like in my life that I'm not sure if I'm saved by him, but I don't know if I'm created on purpose. I don't even know if I can make a difference. Well, here's the good news. Maybe you're not who you want to be, but if you've been saved by Jesus, the good news is you're not who you used to be. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I'll read it for you so you don't have to turn there. He says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't you get this? Those who are far from God, those who are unrighteous, people who haven't been saved, they won't inherit the kingdom. And people go, What do you mean by that? And Paul goes, Well, here's, here's what it means Do not be deceived. That neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters or adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh. Because for some of us, maybe that describes the way we were. For some of us, maybe that describes who we are. And then Paul says this, and this is so powerful in verse 11. And such were some of you but but you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Paul was listen for, for some of you that that list describes who you were, but the good news is, is because of Jesus, you're not that way anymore. In fact, now you've been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified all in the name of Jesus. In fact, you have the spirit of our God inside of you. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave is the same spirit that is in you. What do you mean you can't make a difference? You were created on purpose for a purpose. You've been washed. You've been justified. You've been sanctified. The Spirit of God lives inside of you so that you can live on purpose to make a difference and actually experience joy. And for some of you, as you think about your life and where you're at with Jesus, the reality is one of the first things god does in our lives is bless us when we receive him as our savior he takes our guilt he takes our sin he takes our shame he takes our pain he takes our busted down broken down hurting busted life and gives us hope and peace and grace and love and joy and salvation that you would be washed and justified and sanctified, and that the Spirit of God would be in you. So if maybe for some of us, we just need to accept Jesus for who he is and say yes to him and take that next step. For others of us that maybe already know who Jesus is, maybe these five questions will help bring some clarity to us and help us discover that we were created on purpose for a purpose. When we discover our purpose and take a next step, it'll give us joy. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this day. God, we thank you that because of who you are, that we are blessed. God, I pray that you would be with us now as we just continue in a time of worship. God, I pray as we continue to worship you, God, that your Holy Spirit would just impress upon us your truth, God, that you would make it clear for us what our next step is,